could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome In the Booth. Getting close to the weekend and a weekend that's up for grabs, a free agency weekend for yours truly and for... Many of uh, those that uh, their winter lives center around uh, Syracuse basketball. No game this weekend. Women are in the Dome Sunday at 2 o'clock, so we can build up to that a little bit for what will be the biggest crowd of the year and uh, possibly the biggest crowd ever. But uh, the men not in action until Wednesday of next week, so that means good times to relax a little bit, recharge, watch some figure skate. No, Paulie, why do you have figure skating on television? I just had a text, Seth. I don't know why our TVs are set to figure skating and I think equestrian on the other channel. I told them to turn it to ESPN. So I just sent the text. You have to text somebody outside the room to get the channel changed on this TV? Yeah, because the box controls every TV in this building, so they have to change it outside. It's newfangled. Next thing you know, the toilets will flush properly here. (laughs) Oh, wait, they got that fixed. That's That's one big accomplishment for the week. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I don't mind watching random Olympic events, but I wouldn't pick figure skating. I mean, if you want to get some curling or some biathlon or ski jump, I'd be down with that. It's soccer, not equestrian. Very similar. Now you've got soccer, yeah. But uh, here come the officials. You ever notice the officials? The, whoa! <laughs> the officials coming down the stairs slash escalator for whatever random poorly attended soccer match this is that you have up. Oh, yeah, you got Dortmund. On there, yeah. I'm going to go back to the studio. Um, soccer officials make up their uniforms on a game-to-game basis based on not matching the colors of the teams they're playing. They're not always just black and white like they are pretty much in every sport in America. But how about the dude just doing the splits down the escalator yeah, there? That's, each, that's a crazy euro. Yeah, each foot on a handrail and riding the escalator down. <laughs> escalator down. That's a good way to get loose before the match uh, gets going there. So... Um, yeah, I'm not quite ready. I'm, I'm all fine for the uh, Winter Olympics to come across, but uh, figure skating doesn't really do it for me. Pretty much all of the, almost all the rest of the events in the uh, Winter Olympics. I do like the biathlon where you get these dudes out uh, working their heart rate up to 140 cross-country skiing, and then they have to come to a dead stop and hit a quarter that's a football field away with their rifle. That's fun. I that's, like the curling. That's pretty impressive. Curling is good. Curling's a good uh, beer drinking sport to participate and to watch. And our friend Andrew Catalan does a lot of the uh, curling internationally. So, uh, yeah, didn't think we'd get into the uh, Winter Olympics today, but some neat stuff that uh, could potentially happen on that front with the Olympics uh, coming up here in a few weeks. You can get updates daily here on ESPN Radio and coverage of uh, hockey. The guys were hitting on that uh, yesterday with the uh, Korea teams. North Korea is only fielding like four teams, so the idea that they're merging is not super It's significant politically. It's not significant uh, in terms of the competition and the athleticism. Um, Wanted to start today with something that kind of came through the news 
after our show ended yesterday. We're going to get into Coach Beheim's comments from his radio show last night and work through some of that and talk uh, NBA with uh, Dave McMenamin a little bit later in the show. Dave's the uh, ESPN reporter uh, covering the Cavs primarily, but uh, on top of a lot of things. But uh, after the show yesterday, Polly, the Major League Baseball pace of play stuff uh, started to hit the news a little bit more and be uh, discussed on a regular basis. Rob Manfred, Rome, New York native, uh, the commissioner of baseball, is apparently now going to take it. He's going to still kind of work for an accord, but uh, has and is ready to use his unilateral powers to enforce various pace of play regulations um, that are slightly different than an arrangement that was recently uh, turned down by the Major League Players Association. So the Players Association is uh, bargaining here. They must have something they want. They don't want to play nice right away. They turned down the uh, proposal put forth by MLB and now what will actually maybe get put in place is not as good of a deal, you know, maybe harsher uh, in terms of the regulations uh, for pace of play than the the original uh, pact had in mind. I am all for it. I think some of it is window dressing. People get all agitated about uh, a pitch clock, which, you know, if you're in the Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, purist mindset is a little bit jarring to the eye, but all those places are jarring now. There's advertising everywhere and there's lights. And I'm going to tell you, you get over the, after uh, May 1st, maybe even earlier than that, you won't even have any concept of the fact that the pitch clock exists or is going on. It's not going to bother you from a fan perspective. There's also not a ton of evidence that it actually works, but I'll say this. You can't make legislation that just says, hey, we're going to encourage everybody to kind of pick it up. That's what really needs to happen. Everybody needs to be aware, hey, pick up the pace a little bit. The length of games is not really an issue. The dragging on, the stepping out of the batter's box between pitches is an issue. The unnecessary trips to the mound by the catcher is an issue. Uh, That is the type of stuff that can be cleaned up. I think every trip to the mound without a pitching change is unnecessary. Well, they're about to. That's one of the things they're saying. Hey, you get six of those a game. That's a lot. Or six. I think it may be six trips to the mound. Period. But the uh, you know what happens in the postseason. You know, postseason is more important, and and it comes down to every pitch. And the hitter uh, pitcher matchups are are critical. How many times do you see the catcher instead of throwing the ball out? Oh, I'm going to run this one out, and we're going to have a 30 second discussion about the next pitch. That's too much. The other thing that's going to be affected by this, what do they do in the situation where the catcher takes one off the off the helmet or the ump takes one off yeah. the helmet and they do the the nice guy thing and walk to the mound? Nobody's so the ever can... disputed that. That's a courtesy. Um, you know, certainly between the catcher and the umpire, there is a uh, brotherhood of the, the masked men there. If one of them takes it uh, in the nether regions or the face or, the, you know, off the mask or whatever, the other one... Cleans up the plate, or you know, yeah, as you said, make the trip. I don't think anybody's talking about that. You know, that doesn't really eliminate. You know, and I'll say this: as somebody that loves baseball, goes to a lot of baseball games, rarely, if ever, when I'm at the game, do I think, you know, what? I wish this was shorter. I, I wish this moved along faster. When you were at the game as a consumer, most of us, you're not there charting pitches or grinding on everything or keeping score. If you are, you even view that as a as a romance. You're there talking with the people you're with, you're eating the food, you're walking around. So 
Um, I don't think there's really a problem there. Where I do think there's a problem is in turning on young people with the ADD. We didn't get better on the TV, by the way, if it went from figure skating to the Lawrence Welk show. Okay. <laughs> it's on ESPN so now. now they're flipping through. Thanks, Seth. I didn't know Lawrence Welk was. I didn't know there still was still. a Lawrence Welk show. If you're watching that, what do you. Shout out to all the people watching us on Facebook Live. You have more options in your life than anybody watching Lawrence Welk right now. A thing I used to dread as a kid, my parents used to make us go to Lawrence Welk Village in California. What is that? It's just this little town of Lawrence Welk stuff, and it was brutal on you. Like, wow. <laughs> uh, that's I feel for you. That's one of the reasons you're kind of messed up there, Paul. Uh, well, back to the pace of play thing. What I'm saying is, what they really, you know, the catchers really control the game in terms of the number of times they ask for a new ball. The pitchers do that too. The running game, the check with the dugout, some of that stuff um, can be cleaned up if everybody just understands. Look, shave off. You know, you don't need eight warm up pitches when you've been warming in the the bullpen and you're coming out to the game mound. They're going to cap that at six. There's a bunch of different things that that are there and uh, hope they continue. If they shave, the average time of game now is something like 305. If that goes down to 255, that would be a major gain in my mind. My only concern about pace of play is I want the game to be appealing to the age of folks whose attention span is wandering, even in our meandering open to the show here. We're moving along from... Uh, one topic to the next. It's just a, a fact of life. People are are losing their attention span. I don't want kids to not think baseball is cool or worth their time or fun because it drags along. So let's move it along. The pitch clock I could take or leave, but I, I'm for it in terms of the symbol that it makes that, look, we're paying attention to this stuff. We're going to keep people moving, certainly the between innings clock and those types of things that are have been in place, and away we go. Hopefully there's uh, an impact made there. Yeah, and I've never understood, does a pitching coach coming out to the mound and saying, hey, I need you to throw a strike right now <laughs> Right, work? <laughs> that, well, that is to break momentum. You know, looking over here on the, the console, and you've got Steve Grilly's uh, baseball card, and Steve pitched in the major leagues, and, and Steve knows as well as anybody, but I also think somebody like Steve or a pitcher would say, look, I don't need the pitching coach to tell me anything. If, if I've got something mechanically out of whack – the pitchers probably know that it's just a matter of focus to to get it fixed, or you know sometimes good pitches get hit too. But the pitching coach will go out to break momentum, to intentionally stall to allow for more time in the bullpen for the the pitcher to warm up and and in those types of things. But yeah, is there a lot of strategy that gets discussed there, or those uh, mound visits necessary? Probably not. Uh, so any cap on that, I think makes managers and pitching coaches uh, have to be a little more uh, selective in how they do those things. And all of the things we're talking about here are below, you know, they're not going into the category of what you would call egregious changes or anything that really alters the uh, complexion of the game as we know it. Like the idea of you're not allowed to throw over to first base other than X number of times. Well, that would really change things. Now the, the, Runner at first could have a, a a way to predict if and when you're going to throw again, and those those types of things. Uh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for um, the softball rule of putting the go ahead runner on at second base in the eleventh inning or st- stuff like that. You know that to me is more uh, drastic than I care to swallow right now. But most of these things 
uh, tend to be uh, moved on from and, and people adapt and, and go on from there. But certainly the pitch clock alone, which uh, sounds like it's a, a definite for the uh, 2018 Major League Baseball season, to me, I'm all for it. And uh, I'm just, I'm not positive it's going to make a ton of impact. Uh, 20 second pitch clock, which is used in the minors, right? Yes. And, and uh, by the way, I go to a lot of minor league baseball games. You don't even think about it. And uh, la- they don't know the uh, total amount of co- uh, visits from the catcher, but last year it was proposed at one per inning. Yeah, even that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course, and- there aren't going to be any in the early innings. The union yeah. raised concerns about uh, cross-ups between pitchers and catchers could happen. So but yeah, well, that's going to happen. But game. that's that, right. That's why you have signs, and that's why you need athletic catchers to. <laughs> if if there is a cross-up, they keep it from going to the backstop or or what have you. Um, you know, the union doesn't look. Good. I don't really hold it against the union that they're turning this down. They don't look great in saying that. I, I just sort of figure they must have something up their sleeve that they want. You know, whether it, it involves. You know, drug testing or any number of other things that uh, days off or that type of stuff that the union might want, and they're using it as a little bit of a, a bargaining chip right now because they know baseball's got to go in that uh, area. Another area that's a topic for another time is the protective netting uh, further down the baselines and stuff, and you're starting to see some uh, major league teams committing to that, and it's only a matter of time before that is a uh, more uniform uh, concept and rule. All right, so that gets us going a little bit on baseball. We'll come back and share some of the things that Coach Beheim had for us last night on the AmeriCU Jim Beheim show. And then at the bottom of the hour, we'll visit with McMenamin, Syracuse graduate, ESPN.com reporter following the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers around what is going on in the NBA as we approach the uh, all-star break there. That's as we roll along in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange women back at home Sunday versus Pittsburgh. Tip it to Orange pregame 145. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. And we welcome you back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse here until 3 o'clock today. Last show of the week back on Monday. Full sh- uh, week of shows next week. Not traveling until uh, Friday on the way to Pittsburgh. The Orange needing to make some hay here and approaching... In essence, a bye week. This is an eight-game period between games, their longest stretch of the season. In the booth on ESPN Radio is brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. You can always join us by phone at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. Wanted to share a couple of comments from Coach Beheim last night before we turn our attention to some of the things that are happening in the NBA. And uh, he dealt first with uh, how the Orange are approaching this week in practice. You always in practice are trying to get better. You know, you have more time now because you're not playing, getting ready for a game. The next these couple practices will be just working on our offense, working on our defense, and trying to get better in those areas. And then when we get back to after a day off Sunday, then mandatory day, then Monday, Tuesday, we can work on Boston College and get ready for them for Wednesday night. So he said, you know, two days of where they'll scout BC and their outstanding guards, Jerome Robinson and Kai Bowman. But uh, now's the time where, you know, maybe you can spend a little more time with Pascal Chuku, with Marek Dolajai, and finding a way for them to contribute, to learn, to, you know, spend their time in practice that's not necessarily on just sort of the individual skills and uh, the looking toward the next game practice set. Uh, tends to follow the same kind of pattern over the course of the season, but uh, now a little more time 
to address some of those things and uh, soothe some bumps and bruises and those types of things that that come at this type of year. The Orange are going to, as uh, Coach Beheim's theme has been throughout this season, let's not uh, confuse them from being overmatched or non-competitive. They've got their issues, but uh, all can be, if they're all improved just slightly, this team can really take a leap forward and maybe be more competitive against the, the best teams in the league and and uh, have their share of games to win in the middle of the pack. Unfortunately, Boston College is the team that at the start of the year profiled as the bottom quarter of the league, and they're really not. They are, they're they 3-3 and in the conference. They play at Louisville on Sunday. They can uh, beat anybody in the league, and they're in the game because of the guards. That'll be a uh, spectacular matchup of guards in the Dome on Wednesday at uh, 7 o'clock. One issue for Syracuse is how the uh, Orange are working their way through finding offense, and they do not have sort of these knockdown outside shooters that you've seen on the team in years past. That prompts Notre Dame and Pittsburgh and presumably other teams to pack in zones, and the Orange are eventually going to have to make some shots over that. They're just back in the paint. They're, they're daring you to shoot from the outside, and you know, um, you know, you, you, some zones you can get a little bit inside. Our zone is one you can get inside a little bit because we do cover outside. But uh, when they get back that much, whether it's a zone or man to man, when they their main defense is back in the lane with four or five guys. You have to make some shots at some point in time. You, you, know, you like to get out and get a fast break, but those teams get back on defense pretty well. Uh, and it's hard to get on the boards because when the shot goes up, they have five guys back there. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to get offensive rebounds when they have five guys back in there. But, uh, you know, you, it, it just helps if you make some couple threes against those kinds of defenses. Threes or twos, the Orange are going to have to uh, make some jump shots along the way, and they have the really the three players that are capable of doing that. Frank Howard's shooting as well or better than he ever has. Tyus Battle has it in him. Uh, he's you know not going to go out there and shoot 10 and 12 threes a game, but uh, he's going to take and make his share. And then O'Shea Brissett, I think, will eventually come along. He certainly has shown uh, the capability to knock down some shots, even the mid-range uh, jumpers, the 15 to 18 footers, for now are, are going to go a long way. If the uh, Cuse can get some of those to drop, uh, as for how Syracuse plays the zone, Stephen or Syracuse, our friend and uh, regular contributor, had a, a good question about that last night with the idea of is Syracuse auditioning different players to operate at the high post in the zone? The Orange, like uh, most teams against two, three zones, like to put somebody at the free-throw line. What you're looking for there is a complete player. And well, you would to find think out. O'Shea would because he can shoot and put the ball on the floor, but he didn't really get into the open spots, and he did make one in there, but he didn't look comfortable. Merrick looked much better. He got the ball down. He moved the ball out. Uh, I thought he was the best in the middle. Uh, Matt is not that good in the middle of the zone. But I think Merrick is. I think he's the best guy in there. I think also that we tried to get in the lane with our guards. You know, we don't. 
we can't leave our guards just on the outside because that's our team. We, those two guys are guys that create offense for, them, for us. So we have to get them some screens, get them in the lane, get them some opportunities. And we did that better in the second half. Frank hit a couple threes in the first half, but in the second half we mostly got by and we got in the lane. And, uh, you know, that gets you to the foul line as well. It's hard to drive against zones, but you have to really look at it and work at it. And we did that a little bit in the second half. Well, that's uh, enough, I think, on the Pittsburgh game and putting that to bed just as far as it relates to uh, what is ahead for the Orange. We're going to find different ways to adapt and score and answer the uh, opposition and the various uh, different types of attacks and defenses and that type of thing that you see over the course of the conference. So a good little breather time here. It's in the lab uh, for the players and coaches and uh, back at it Wednesday of next week against Boston College. We'll have plenty of time on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday for that matter to uh, get into that game and to look forward to it. Had a few other leftover comments there from Coach Beheim. May have some of those here for you later in the show. Looking ahead to the weekend. When we come back, Dave McMenamin of ESPN.com, their regular Cavaliers beat writer and uh, an outstanding follow knows his stuff uh, around the league will join us to talk about just what's been happening there where a lot of the news of late has been off the court in the association more as we roll on in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse live from the dboffers.com powered by Drivers Village Studio this is ESPN Radio 97.7 FM Syracuse and 100.1 FM Oswego this is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back in the booth. Good to have you along with us. In the Booth brought to you every day by Burdick, Toyota, and CH Insurance. Here until 3 o'clock this afternoon and back Monday at 2. Want to talk a little NBA? Well, there's a little lull in the Syracuse basketball schedule. No game on the weekend, so we thought we would dial up our friend Dave McMenamin of ESPN. Uh, deals uh, primarily with the Cavs, but uh, certainly knows the league inside and out. And uh, Dave, how are you? I'm great. Much like the Syracuse Orange, so the Cavs were able to avoid a five-game losing streak. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> By eking one out. A little more uh, common night. in the NBA, though, I would think. <laughs> yeah, just the I mean, 82-game schedule versus 35. Yeah, yeah. it happens. There hasn't been one here since 1969. I, if there's an NBA team that's gone since 69 without winning five in a row or losing five in a row, I'd be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, be some feat. Um so uh, among the news, I guess, that's closest to you, we can start there first, is uh, no surprise LeBron James as a leading vote-getter in his conference, is captain for the uh, All-Star game. He and Steph Curry, uh, probably the two most fun-to-watch players in the league, and uh, they get to choose up sides like we did out on the blacktop, huh? Yeah, it's fun that LeBron, when asked about it last night, said, I'm out there to win. And so I don't think you'll see too many, uh, you know, friendship-type picks for him. Uh, I think he'll be putting on his fantasy basketball hat as best as possible, which could mean him going across rivalry lines and making Kevin Durant the number one pick, even we though to, right? everyone if you look talks at... about the Cavs-Warriors uh, <laughs> rivalry. If you look at who's available, first of all, you'd be picking the next, like Kevin Durant is the next best available player, I would think, by any objective measure, and it weakens, like it, it separates him from Steph Curry, who would be on the yeah. other side. Yeah, and then you wonder if, if where Steph goes from there. Uh, does he follow suit to uh, grab someone like, you know, Kyrie Irving, 
uh, you know, so that, that then you have the edge of Kyrie versus LeBron in the game, and perhaps play some, you know, mental war force <laughs> there. There, um, you know, I think Steph might have told reporters in Golden State last night that he was thinking about going all guards, um, which could be a completely different look because you know what's Well Embiid got to do on the perimeter. Uh, he has to start against uh, James Harden or something like that. So it, it's going to be fun. I wish the NBA went full bore and actually televised the selection process, uh, but perhaps that will be something that we see in the future. Sure, I guess they can ease their way into it. I know they did take some criticism for, you know, why keep this secret? Obviously, that's to avoid potential embarrassment for players. And actually, one of the things I wanted to talk with you, and we can get into it here in a second, is about all sort of the drama that seems to be uh, popping up um, at least to my eye, more uh, of late than than usual. But um, love the idea. The the whole I to me, I'm for the concept. Any concept that shows, hey, these are the best players in the world, but they're still kids at heart. They're choosing up sides the way you did at you know open gym in eighth grade, and the way you might you know the, these season ticket holders might in the lawyer you know rec league or the, the something at their their business. So. <laughs> To me, it's pretty cool. Polly yeah. gets one question a show, Dave. Just want to it, warn you. It's not even a question. Yeah. Is it that embarrassing? Oh, yeah. Isn't that embarrassing for the guy to be like, "Oh no, I'm the 17th best <laughs> basketball player in the world"? <laughs> like, come on, get over it. Right, and, and it's going to get out. I mean, they're going to get on on video now. But every single uh, journalist assigned to cover the NBA, that's going to become the biggest story in the league on July 20th. Excuse me, on January 25th, when they announce the starting teams. Uh, that's literally like all of us will drop whatever we're doing and call every single contact we have in the league to try to find out the way this thing went. So it's going to get out. So why not put it out there and monetize it and have, you know, 10 million viewers? Well, it's not like they're running plays or they're going to have training camp or anything. They really could do it the night before the game or right up at, you know, you can line up, line up like gym class and, uh, and choose them, which would be uh, even more interesting can you see him out there in reversible jersey? Okay, you're red, you're white. Let's. <laughs> but um, you know, it's funny what you said. We're visiting with uh, Dave McMenamin of uh, ESPN, and, and Dave, you know, you said the idea of there's this real or supposed rift. It is real, I guess, between LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. You would know as well as anybody. If uh, Steph Curry really wanted Kyrie Irving on his team, he almost wouldn't have to pick him. He's going to get him by default if you go on the assumption LeBron's not going to take him unless you say, hey, LeBron would probably be also among the best GMs in in, uh, the NBA, so uh, he's going to be shrewd when putting his team together. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. Like, what if he picks Embiid early? And then what does that mean? Does it mean he has interest in going to play with (laughs) Embiid and Ben Simmons next year as a free agent? Because that's one of the teams out there that everyone looks at as having a strong collection of young talent. Uh, The Kyrie thing, maybe he throws everybody off and, and picks them. And that's a statement against Cavs management uh, to say, hey, I never wanted to trade him in the first place. Uh, look, I like playing with this guy. Uh, so I, I think any single pick uh, that is, is made, uh, we can start to read into it. I love it. And as a true pro, you've got uh, your articles half written here, depending on how, how this goes. Uh, <laughs> certainly have that in your head. You know, the, the thing I thought when we uh, thought about having you on this week, Dave, is like, to me, and again, you're around it all the time and have been for years. The season is so long, and the playoffs determine to such a large extent, and I know that there's all kinds of cases to be made for teams on the come and all of that, that this drama to me seems to be born out of that, that the you know going into people's locker rooms and what have you is just to get some sort of attention or to make it interesting. 
over the long haul of the season because it's such a grind for these guys. Yeah, Matt. I mean, the 82-game schedule, the, the NBA has done some good things this year in terms of making the season start earlier and end later so there's more time in between games so at least they can have fresh bodies, but they still don't get fresh minds. I mean, think about the process of you play a game and then you log on to your phone and you open Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you have hundreds of thousands of people who are criticizing you or praising you. It just kind of messes with your mind. And, you know, kind of crazy things happen. Uh, we've come to expect it over the course of the NBA season. It's not a referendum on where that team's going to end up. I mean, I covered the Cavs the last three years, start off 19 and 20 in 2014, 2015, made the NBA finals the following year, fired their coach midseason, won the, won the whole thing. And last year they go nine and 13 over their final 22 games in the regular season. Start the postseason by winning their first 10 games. So it, it really is the dog days of the NBA schedule. It keeps things interesting. It gives us things to talk about on the radio, on television, and, and certainly in columns on .com. But, um, you know, I, I think anyone who's become a uh, experienced NBA viewer or fan will know that you kind of have to take this period of the schedule with a grain of salt. Sure. You know, to me, and who's panicking here about the Cavs or whatever? I understand it's their lowest winning percentage uh, since they've gotten LeBron back, but who cares? Like, I, I wouldn't. If I were a coach, I wouldn't encourage my team to be flipping switches. But I think all of us on the outside, and we're obviously more removed than you are, are f- fully aware they're going to flip a switch and that the cream is going to rise. To the t- especially because in the postseason, you play in series. The better teams win in series. Right, and and I mean the, the story I wrote earlier in the week, citing several anonymous prominent players in the Cavs locker room, they weren't talking about the players not getting along or this thing uh, not being uh, still a, a solid collection of talent. They're trying to put pressure on the Cavs front office to make a move before the February 8th deadline. Love it. But that's exactly what the motivation was there. And because there's a bit of a standoff between Cavs ownership and really LeBron James's camp, as to whether they will trade their first-round draft pick they got from the Brooklyn Nets or hold on to it uh, unless they get a commitment from LeBron before free agency begins that he'll still be here next year and beyond. Wow. No, never a dull moment with that stuff. It's uh, interesting to watch. You know, the, I, I just think and he's about to get to the 30,000-point plateau should happen in the next game. LeBron is so unique, and you've got a front-row seat to him every day, Dave, that – best player on the planet, and uses that weight in a way that I don't know that we've seen really from a ton of other athletes, right? I mean, he really holds the cards and seems to know how to use them. Yeah, and, and he has grown as the sport has grown. And, uh, you know, he has ushered in a entirely new approach to free agency for the entire NBA. Kevin Durant's not going to Golden State to win a championship unless – LeBron goes to Miami to win a championship. Uh, you know, it, it became about player empowerment. Uh, you start to recognize that if you are one of the marquee top 10 players in the league, your well-being and, and your happiness and your welfare matters a lot more in the league than, say, a coach or an owner or, um, you know, uh, uh, other parts of the entire machine. And so you don't want to 
abuse that power. You'll come off as looking callous. You'll come up looking calculated. But you want to acknowledge it and make sure the people that you work with acknowledge it. And I think LeBron's done a good job of leveraging that. And, um, you know, it, it, it puts him in a tough situation sometimes because he puts himself out there and it opens himself up for criticism if it doesn't work out because you say, you, hey, you kind of made your bed here, now you got to sleep in it. Uh, but at the same time, um, he seems to, when he finds himself back into a corner, uh, find a way to, you know, turn it back in his favor. All right, two more quick things with you, Dave, uh, kind of getting off the calves for a second. One, all this nonsense that we see about the spats with officiating, it, it never seems to be any more appropriate to say, hey, look, they don't pay to watch you. And it feels like the officials are a little butthurt here in, in terms of trying to they're trying to bring back right. I mean, it seems like they're trying to rein it in. Obviously, there's a ton of strong yeah. personalities in the NBA. They're trying to rein it in a little bit. Um, so, and it sounds like they're going to have a little summit here at the All Star Game yeah. next month, and let's hope that gets smoothed out. Yeah, Matt. I mean, one you had an NBA ref headbutt a player this year. That's not I mean, good. That's, you can't do that. Um, you've had a spike in ejections and technical fouls over the last several weeks. Uh, LeBron James, for the first time in his career, was ejected from a game. Um, I mean, again, people pay really good money to come see these games. They circle it on their calendar for months and months and months. And, of course, there are some players that go over the line. They need to be ejected. Aaron Aflalo trying to throw a haymaker in a game. Get that guy out of there. And a headlock. Him suspension. Right. But, you know, when I see D'Angelo Russell get a technical foul while he's on the bench for, you know, sarcastically clapping a, a call by a referee. The referee's got to have thicker skin. By the way, these guys are paid upwards of half a million dollars a year to do their job. Sure. Part of your job is to deal with that scrutiny from the players. And if you can't, then you should probably find another profession. So uh, I, I don't think it's quite an epidemic the way it's being kind of presented right now, I think for Draymond Green to come out and say that they need to get rid of the entire crew of referees and start anew is a ridiculous statement. Well, and he has no credibility either because he's the guy who's <laughs> in that ejection category. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, he's a guy who, yeah, who has had multiple kicks to players' groin, so you don't really want that person to be your spokesman going up against the referee committee. But I, I do think an attitude adjustment on both sides would help things out because, you know, the animosity factor doesn't help the game, and again, it, every side should want to grow the game here because it gets, people get paid more money. Absolutely, and there's a lot of great young stars. Let's just chill out, and and you know, again, not every call is the worst call ever. I, I guess Coach Bayham said uh, the local version of his show last night. Look, you know, the individual players are going to build credibility with the officials too if they don't argue every single call. You know, pick. Pick your spots with that. And, yeah, and last, not every call is a block call against DJ Fair and Duke. You know, right. not every call is. There. Right, right, right. You know that one. But um, <laughs> and the jacket came off again last game too, which is uh, oh. first sight of the year. How about uh, just a, a thirty-second spin around uh, the Syracuse players in the league? There's, uh, I guess, the news this week. Wesley Johnson had a big game with a double double. Andrew White signs with the Hawks, and uh, Tyler Lydon called up by the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see Lydon get a chance uh, because they aren't quite living up to their expectations. The Nuggets had. I mean, they were being kind of a sleeper top four Western Conference pick by a lot of people coming into the year. Uh, he, he, the, the fact that they haven't been as good as people as projected them allows them to get this chance. 
White, just a dead-eye shooter. We all know that. And uh, I spoke to some people about him last year during the finals. I ran into him in the lobby at the Warriors practice facility. Uh, he was working out for, for the, the Dubs um, during the final series, and I spoke to some of their uh, scouting department, and, and they just loved his ability to stretch the floor. And, um, you know, Wes, he's still trying to find his way to extend his career. I mean, the, the criticism on him remains that he doesn't quite understand how to play hard, to harness his athleticism on a consistent basis, um, but you know that's that's the personality. Uh, that's why he makes him a likable teammate at the same time. But um, and how about Carmelo scoring 27 points in 27 minutes the other night uh, against uh, the Lakers? He seems to be finding a, a role he's comfortable with, and uh, he has a big matchup on ABC tomorrow against his former foe, LeBron James. Uh, it could be the same night LeBron gets. It's 30,000 with Camelo on the court. Very cool. Uh, great stuff as always, Dave. I think Paulie's going to sneak in one for you here. One, we're going to let Paulie <laughs> double up. You're a Philadelphia The guy. first one wasn't really a question, so. Yeah, it's just me being dumb. The uh, Eagles, we're going to see them in the Super Bowl. You're a Philadelphia guy. Uh, I need it. I need, I'm, I'm much more confident going into a game against the Vikings. because You're not playing an all-time great quarterback, Drew Brees, and we have a pretty good defense. I think they can mess with Keenum a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about it. As a Philly sports fan, it's hard to feel really good, but I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> All right, good stuff. We'll keep an eye out for that. We'll be happy for you if uh, the Eagles fly their way to the Super Bowl. All Thanks, right, guys. Dave, we'll do it again. Thanks, my friend. Dave McMenamin of ESPN covering the Cavs and, of course, the NBA. Back with Joe for Do We Care? And wrap it up next. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Is reform coming to the NCAA? League President Mark Emmert says they're taking steps to make, quote, meaningful change ahead of the season uh, beginning. The reforms would come after accusations of bribery, fraud, and corruption in men's basketball. Emmert says leaders in college athletics need to do their part in restoring faith, especially on the heels of Rick Pitino's firing last fall in Louisville. Yeah, it's a lot of talk so far. Phone's blown up here with alerts, and this is what he said. And what what is your reform? What what do you have in mind exactly? What is going to be fixed? I do understand, you know, somebody in his position getting the word out, like, hey, everybody, let's let's clean this up and try to get, you know, some semblance of respectability and, and structure here. But if he thinks it's going uh, Ivy League across the board, he's wrong. It's also already illegal to pay a kid a hundred. $50,000 yeah. to play. What else are they going to do? Make it double illegal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he didn't say it before. I don't know. You're you're right. What what can he say now? I mean, it's going to have to do with uh, more on sanctions uh, and getting their hands around, you know, what do you want to be? And then make your decisions and structure uh, pointing in the right direction. Patriots coach Bill Belichick not commenting on reports that Tom Brady has a bad hand during a news conference this morning. Belichick deflected reports his star quarterback suffered an injured right hand, saying, quote, we'll see to a question about whether or not Brady will play in Sunday's game against the Jaguars. Yeah, well, he doesn't say anything about anything, so that's uh, not especially newsworthy. To me, the most interesting part of what we heard out of the press conference was Somebody asked, and you know, odd timing for it. It seems like, but you know, hey, now are you really upset that you traded Jimmy Garoppolo? Which uh, puts Belichick a little bit in a checkmate position, and he clearly uh, blew that off. 
And a Washington man has been arrested for setting his parents' house on fire as revenge for something his brother did a decade ago. Police say the man remained angry for 10 years after his brother farted in his face. No one was injured in the blaze. That's 10 Christmases, 10 birthdays, 10, 10 Thanksgivings. Thanksgivings. Yeah. Uh, just completely stupefying. That <laughs> never ceases to amaze me that, uh, how messed up people are. Is he still living in the house? Uh, well, the I don't brother, think or did he just mad at the parents for not doing so much? So many questions. Yeah. Isn't what that the a parents have to do with it? Brothers I, get too? after the brother. And how did he make it blaze? Is it I thought I held grudges. No, Dewey Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. You're not going that good either, Joe, to be hold, <laughs> holding grudges, man. You, you ought to keep the peace as best you can. I don't usually care. All right, enough. guys. Have a great weekend, everybody. You, you too. You two included. Don't know what we'll do with ourselves. Good uh, weekend games. Doug Marone could be coaching in the Super Bowl. He's in the AFC Championship game, so uh, lots of fun. Good to see those games back-to-back. We'll have the Super Bowl matchup set when we join you again Monday in the booth at 2 o'clock on ESPN Radio Syracuse.